Is the metabolic syndrome more than just the sum of its parts? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Matthew Sorrentino, your host, and with me today is Dr. Dariush Mozafarian. Dr. Mozafarian is the assistant professor in the Division of Cardiovascular Medicine, Brigham and Women's Hospital, and Harvard Medical School. He is the co-director of the program in cardiovascular epidemiology and the assistant professor in the Department of Epidemiology at the Harvard School of Public Health. Dr. Mozafarian, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. The topic today is metabolic syndrome, a topic that is now received a huge amount of interest and thousands of papers. It was first officially coined, I guess, back in 2001 by the National Cholesterol Education Program. Can you describe for us in general just what is the metabolic syndrome? What are the components that we should look for in a patient? Well, this is a syndrome that has been variably defined by various organizations, including the Adult Treatment Panel, the National Cholesterol Education Program guidelines, the International Diabetes Foundation, and the World Health Organization. And the different definitions vary slightly in what they emphasize or de-emphasize. But broadly, it's a measure of abnormal metabolism that's related to central adiposity and insulin resistance. And so the components typically include a measure of abdominal adiposity, such as waist circumference or BMI, a measure of insulin resistance, such as glucose levels or an oral glucose tolerance test, elevated blood pressure, and then typically high triglyceride levels and low HDL cholesterol levels. Now, when the National Cholesterol Education Program put this together, was it based on research suggesting that these components were important, or was it just a convenient way of trying to recognize a clustering of risk factors? Yeah, I think the other way to phrase your important question is, you know, is this really a disease or a condition, or is it, as you said, just a convenient clustering? And I think that most experts would agree that this isn't a disease per se, but a convenient clustering of risk factors that helps identify people that might be missed otherwise for being at higher risk. Typically, we have focused certainly on blood pressure and LDL cholesterol levels, but things like central adiposity, triglyceride levels, HDL levels, and maybe sort of borderline elevations in glucose levels have received traditionally less attention. So I think this is a way to recognize that especially with the obesity epidemic, you know, obesity is strongly associated with high triglycerides and low HDL and these other risk factors that we're not just living in an LDL-focused world, that, that we really need to sort of expand our idea of who is at risk. And this is a convenient clustering of risk factors to try to capture those patients. Now, the Framingham database has looked at multiple risk factors, and the investigators in Framingham, of course, have come up with algorithms that we should use to try to calculate risk. Is the metabolic syndrome something that supersedes that or adds to Framingham, or why can't we just use Framingham to determine risk? Well, you know, I think there's several ways to approach that issue. I mean, the first is, you know, is Framingham used in clinical practice? I think that, you know, anecdotal evidence suggests that maybe it's not widely used in clinical practice every time a patient comes in. I'm not sure doctors are calculating their Framingham risk score. 
So I think that it's always helpful to have, you know, other ways to look at risk. You know, additionally, Framingham was really looking for uh, prediction of heart disease, and the metabolic syndrome is important for predicting possibly other outcomes, although, of course, the focus is heart disease. And then, you know, again, the components are different. Central adiposity um, is not a component of Framingham, and Framingham talks about diabetes, but the actual how to define diabetes is not specified, and these different groups have, have talked about different ways to define diabetes. So I think it's just a different focus with, again, the focus of Framingham being total cholesterol and LDL cholesterol, diabetes and smoking, and this being more a component of interrelated metabolic risk factors related to obesity. So I guess if the metabolic syndrome is an important component that we should look at, it should predict something. So in general, if we look at United States population or other epidemiologic studies, does the metabolic syndrome predict something? Does it predict higher cardiovascular risk, or does it predict who's going to develop diabetes in general? So, you know, in almost every study that's been looked at, metabolic syndrome does predict higher cardiovascular risk. And, you know, that includes middle-aged men, middle-aged women, and even older men and women, as in our study. But I think that what's not always been as closely looked at is how does that comparison of metabolic syndrome as a component of these factors, how does it compare to each individual factor? And I guess we should be more clear on the definition of the metabolic syndrome. There are typically about five risk factors in the syndrome. So, for example, the ATP3 or U.S. guidelines have abdominal obesity, high triglycerides, low HDL, high blood pressure, and elevated fasting glucose. And any three or more of those five will give you a definition of metabolic syndrome, and it doesn't matter which three of the five it is or if there's four or five of five. And so in some ways, although it's helpful, it also kind of blurs the lines between, you know, maybe there's one of those risk factors that's more important than the others, or maybe there's different ways to look at those combinations. And so I think that while metabolic syndrome does predict increased cardiovascular risk in most populations in which it's been looked at, it's not as yet, I think, been systematically evaluated in different populations how the individual risk factors compare to metabolic syndrome as a whole. Let's look a little bit closer at the study that you and your group just published. This was a study in the Archives of Internal Medicine entitled Metabolic Syndrome and Mortality in Older Patients. What was the patient population that you looked at in this study? So this is a prospective cohort study called the Cardiovascular Health Study, which was sponsored by uh, the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. Patients were enrolled starting in 1989, and actually the study is ongoing, so now almost 20 years of follow-up. And in four general regions in the United States, almost 6,000 older adults, everyone over age 65, was enrolled from Medicare eligibility lists. So they just looked at lists of who might be eligible, and as long as the person was, you know, free living and independent living outside of, you know, a nursing home or a hospital, they were asked to be enrolled in the study. So it's one of the best sort of population-based prospective studies of older adults in the United States. And then patients were followed every year, or I should say participants. They weren't always patients. They, they could or could not have underlying diseases. So the participants were followed with annual visits and had, you know, very standardized testing to look at risk factors, history, and disease outcomes during follow-up. 
If you are just joining us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Matt Sorrentino, and I'm speaking with Dr. Dariush Mozafarian. We are discussing the metabolic syndrome, and in particular, in a cohort of older adults. So in this older population that you looked at, what were the results? What did having metabolic syndrome do to this patient population? So, yeah, again, in this population, you know, that everybody was over age 65. The range was about 65 to 100 at baseline. And what we found is that during 15 years of follow-up, metabolic syndrome did predict a modestly higher relative risk of mortality. Our main outcome was total mortality. We also looked at cardiovascular and non-cardiovascular mortality specifically, but we wanted to look at sort of what's the most important outcome for most people is death. And so metabolic syndrome did predict modestly higher total mortality with a relative risk, depending on which metabolic syndrome definition was used, with a relative risk of about uh, 1.3 or about 30% higher risk of total mortality. Um, that was sort of one of the first findings. But then when we looked at the individual criteria among the criteria, really all of that elevated risk was due to either elevated glucose or elevated blood pressure. So just looking in these older adults at elevated blood pressure or elevated glucose alone or their combination gave you similar or even better prediction of mortality than looking at the metabolic syndrome. So in this cohort, the lipid factors, HDL and triglycerides, didn't have an independent prediction of total mortality? That's correct. And that also would include the fifth factor, which is abdominal obesity based on waist circumference, did not have a separate association in terms of prediction with total mortality. So it was really all of the money for the prediction of the metabolic syndrome was in high blood pressure and elevated glucose. That's an interesting finding because a number of years ago... I don't remember the exact cohort that was looked at, but another older cohort looked at total cholesterol and found that after a certain age, it seems to fall out as an independent predictor. Could it be that we're seeing a survival effect, that you're seeing patients get into the older age group who have not had their cardiovascular event, and so cholesterol becomes less important as you get older? I think there's you know, several possible explanations for why cholesterol levels or abdominal obesity would be less predictive in older adults. I mean, one is, as, as you mentioned, a survival effect that you know, all the people that are susceptible have died off by the time you get to age 65. The other possibility is, you know, in older people, you have reverse causation. So people that have lower cholesterol or less abdominal obesity actually have underlying chronic illness that's never been diagnosed. And so they're going to be at higher risk to die in future years. And I think that's another possibility. And then, you know, a third speculative possibility is that there's something about a little bit more obesity that may be protective in older age groups. But I think that that's, you know, not really been borne out by any physiologic study. So I think that it's probably a combination of the survivor effect, as you said, where the susceptible people, you know, have already gotten their condition, and then also this reverse causation. And one other factor for reverse causation is smoking. You know, smokers tend to be more lean, but they're certainly at higher risk for total mortality. So, you know, when we're talking about prediction, which is the focus of our paper, it doesn't really matter what the cause is. When it's, you just want to know when somebody's in your office whether you can predict risk. That's important to differentiate from trying to determine cause and effect because our analysis and other analyses like this that are focused on prediction don't give us 
causal inference where we can say, therefore, obesity is not important in older adults or triglyceride levels are not important or HDL levels are not important for cause and effect. They still may be, but for prediction, which is a different creature, they're not helpful for prediction. So let's say you have a diagnosis of metabolic syndrome in an older adult. What should be our approach to treating these folks? Yeah, I think if somebody comes in with metabolic syndrome or uh, elevated blood glucose or high blood pressure, I think that you know, in addition to the usual pharmacologic treatments that are emphasized, I think it's really important to focus on lifestyle in older adults. Uh, analyses from this cohort and other cohorts indicate that just modest physical activity stopping smoking and improvement in dietary habits has pretty substantial effects on these outcomes in older adults. So I think that treating people both pharmacologically and with lifestyle measures, even in older ages, is likely to be very important. Well, I want to thank Dr. Mozafarian, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the metabolic syndrome and mortality in older adults from a recent study that he published in the Archives of Internal Medicine. I am Dr. Matt Sorrentino. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts, or call us toll-free with your comments and suggestions at 888-MD-XM-157. And thank you for listening.